All right, everyone. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Your pew Bible has it on page 959. Um, 1 Corinthians 12. We're looking at verses 1 through 27. Now, this is our second to last sermon in our series titled New. Uh, as Christians, we have been made to be new people. And today's sermon is titled New Gifts. And well, who doesn't like gifts? And who doesn't prefer new gifts over old gifts? And it's true, the new gifts that God gives us are to be welcomed and delighted in. But the truth is, many Christians are clueless as to what spiritual gifts are. And many aren't so sure as to what their gifts could be. And even those who know their giftedness don't always put their gifts into service. So we need this passage that is before us so that we can be informed as to what these new gifts are about. We are the body of Christ and the Spirit gives us gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 27. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, this be, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if, uh, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater dignity. 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you want to know God, if you want to know his will, if you want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word to us. We thank you for what it shows us. Um, we thank you that we can be instructed and taught so that we cannot be ignorant and rather we may put to use the gifts that you have sovereignly given us that we may be the body living for the common good. Open our eyes and ears this morning so that we may welcome these truths, we pray. Amen. You know, I think one of the most terrifying diseases known to man is ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. ALS has no cure. It is marked by a slow and certain death. The nerve cells that control one's voluntary motions are slowly um, put to death. People with ALS get to the point where they can no longer move, but their hearts still beat and their minds still function. Imagine being fully alert and yet unable to speak or to move. A functioning mind without a responsive body. In our passage today, Paul challenges the church in Corinth. They need to see themselves as who they truly are, the body of Christ, and Christ is their head. Paul is saying to each and every one of them that they each and every one of them play an important role in this body, that each and every one of them have been given gifts from God to be used as members of this body, gifts called spiritual gifts. Now, as you know, the Corinthians had a lot of major problems. One of them was disunity in the body. They didn't value and esteem one another. Some had been given powerful, very visible gifts of the Spirit. But instead of using them to honor Christ and benefit the church as a whole, they became sources of pride and resentment. They all belonged to Christ. He was their head. They were his body in Corinth. But it's as if their body had ALS. The desires of Christ are head cannot be effectively worked out when the body is made up of members that disregard each other and are unable to work together. But in the church where each member seeks to honor Christ by the gifts that God has given to each one, well, watch out. There the church is alive in Christ each member joyfully living out their unique gifting for the betterment of the entire body and the community in which they live. That is what Paul desires for this church in Corinth. And so Paul begins by addressing their problems. He says, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, he calls them brothers, they're fellow Christians. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. They lacked knowledge concerning the spiritual gifts God had carefully given them, and therefore they did not function 
as an effective body of Christ. You know, this isn't just an issue for that ancient church back then. This is an issue for each and every church today. Grace Church, if we are to become an even more effective body on the east end of Long Island, then we too need to be better informed as regards to spiritual gifts. What we're going to see this morning is that God gives new gifts to each and every Christian so that we may be alive together as the body of Christ. We're going to look at this in three areas. First, the power of the Spirit, then the work of the Spirit, and then the anatomy of the Spirit. The power of the Spirit. First, let's see how the Holy Spirit powerfully frees us to belong to the body of Christ. Paul shows the Corinthians that prior to faith in Christ, they were in bondage to false gods. Look at verse 2. He says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now, what are idols? Well, in Paul's day, they were images that were carved out, that were made to represent some pagan god. The belief was that by attaching oneself to this idol, that you could control the god behind the idol and to make them duty-bound to serve you. But idols work the other way. (laughs) You think you're controlling the god, but it's the god who has you wrapped around its finger. Today, uh, the images of idols are gone. But the idolatry remains. Countless people, do they not, bow to the idol of career success or younger-looking skin? They think that they are in control, but actually their idols control them. Is it not true that if you bow to the idol of career success, you will come under its power and control? You will find yourself doing things that you never dreamed of ever doing. Ignoring your family. Betraying your co-workers, lying to clients, and then instead of repenting, making excuses for it. Now everyone before coming to faith in Christ has had some sort of idol that had led them astray. For me, it was the idol of being a self-made man. What was it for you? Paul is highlighting the fact that we all came into the body as people who used to be under the power and control of idols. That is, until the Holy Spirit came and freed us. And what is it that the Holy Spirit, um, what is it that he did for us? Well, he caused Jesus to be exalted in our lives, over and above our careers or good looks or whatever. That is the primary work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. The Holy Spirit is like a good drummer. A good drummer plays in such a way that you notice him. But if he's not playing, you will miss him. Excuse me, play in such a way that you don't notice him. But if he's not up there, you're going to say, where's Scott the drummer, right? (laughs) Or, oh gosh, we got Mark this week. So the same Spirit of God lives to exalt Jesus. And if you are a Christian, the Spirit has done this in your life. And so Paul shows us this work both negatively and positively. We see it in verse 3. First, negatively. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. 
In other words, no one who speaks by the Spirit of God ever demeans in any way the centrality of Christ in the life of the Christian and in the Christian faith. The person and work of Jesus are always the central thing. So if you insist that Jesus was just a man or a good moral teacher or somebody who unfortunately you know, died this death and that's too bad, then um, by those beliefs you accurse Jesus. If you insist that he was just a teacher, then Jesus is accursed. Jesus and his resurrection, Jesus and his divinity uh, must be central to all things that we live and do and believe. And the Spirit of God also works positively in his people to exalt Christ. Look at the end of verse 3. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Do you know the creed of the early church? Simple and short. Jesus is Lord. And the Romans attacked them for that. They promoted what? Caesar is Lord. Many Christians were thrown to the lions in the stadiums of Rome for insisting that Jesus is Lord over and above the emperor. What does Lord mean? Lord means that uh, one is in charge of all events in life. My friends, Jesus, the risen Lord, is seated on his throne in heaven where he reigns right now. All events are under his control. And as the church, we must believe this. Why? Because if we are Christ's body and he is our head, then it's only when that we believe that he is on his throne leading us that we will be willing to be led as his body. So Paul's point so far is that every Christian shares a similar past. The Holy Spirit has set us free to belong to the body of Christ. Now Paul shows us that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts so that we can reflect the image of God. See, God is a unity of diversity, and so too the body of Christ. You know, I know the word Bible is, uh, Trinity is not in, in our, the word Trinity is not in our Bibles, but we see it clearly here in this passage in verses four through six. We see Spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. We see the Lord, which is referring to Christ as Lord, the second person of the Trinity. And we see God. And when Paul speaks of God, most often he's speaking of God as God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So in verses 4 through 6, we see the Trinity, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Three diverse uh, persons uh, are one God, diversity with perfect unity. And so Paul wants his readers and us to see that the body of Christ is to be patterned upon the very Godhead that gives us life in Christ. See, Paul says there's a variety of gifts. Um, There are varieties of ways to serve with those gifts. And there are a variety of activities in which to use our new spiritual gifts. But they all come from the one same God, who is himself a variety with unity. The same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God, the Father, who empowers them all in everyone. Now, think through how this affects us. Paul wants us to be informed as a church of how we are constituted. God is behind this. He has patterned the body of Christ after his own eternal community. Great diversity. 
perfect unity. And as the body of Christ, we live to exalt Christ in everything we do. That is why you have been given spiritual gifts to live life together in great unity with diversity so that the world around us will know Christ and experience his blessings through us, Christ's body. Now for the Spirit's work. Think this through. If the Holy Spirit works to exalt Christ, then it follows that the work of the Spirit in the body of Christ is the same, to exalt Christ through us, his body. That's what Paul writes in verse 7. Verse 7 is integral to this whole passage. We're going to look at it in a little bit of detail. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then after saying this, Paul gives a fairly long list of nine spiritual gifts. And later in verses 28 through 30, we don't have it in our bulletin, he gives eight more uh, spiritual gifts. And then elsewhere in the New Testament, there's other lists of spiritual gifts. Some of them overlap with this list here. Now this morning, we're not going to describe all the spiritual gifts or even the nine that are before us. But I do encourage you to pick up in the back of the sanctuary. There's a handout at the back of the table. It's called Discovering and Using Your Spiritual Gifts. It has a wider, more fuller description of all the different gifts listed. Um, and then with this, you are able to discern how has God perhaps gifted me so that I could use my gifts in the body. Paul's purpose, though, is to highlight a number of gifts so that the church in Corinth can be informed as to how God works. Listen, Paul, Paul is saying that God doesn't begin by forming an organization. He begins by what? Giving his people spiritual gifts to be used as a body. That's the basics. That's the foundational. And Paul wants us to start thinking about the basics. The foundational work of the Holy Spirit is to give, give gifts to everybody in the body for the common good of exalting Christ. With this in mind, let's look at verse 7. First he says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And in verse 11, he builds on that. He says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit wills that each and every believer receive a spiritual gift. In other words, no one is left out. If you're a Christian, you can never say that you were in another room when the gifts were handed out. You have at least one, if not more. God wills that you have them. To each is given. So that's the first detail. The second detail Paul gives us is that it is called the manifestation of the spirits. So understand this. This is not your normal natural abilities. This is supernatural function that has come into your life. All of us have natural abilities and talents, at least I think some of us. Uh, you know, they include the ability to sing, to lead, to speak, to paint, to draw, all kinds of different things that can be that we can use. But spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. They are gifts that you did not have prior to becoming a Christian. See, spiritual gifts function in the spiritual realm for building up of a spiritual body. 
Take, for instance, the first two spiritual gifts that Paul mentions. The first gifts he mentions are um, one, the utterance of wisdom. Uh, the word utterance is the Greek word logos, which means word. So speaking of words, uh, the, the utterance of wisdom. And the next is the utterance of knowledge. Now, the, the, the spiritual gift of the utterance or the word of knowledge is the divinely given ability to go through the word of God and understand it and distill it and, 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 and see um, God's truth there, plain and simple, so that you can build up the body by what you discover there. In other words, the person with this gift has a heightened ability to read scripture and to accurately understand all kinds of things about biblical truth. The other gift, uh, the gift of the, the utterance of wisdom. This, those with this gift, are they're, they're empowered to provide insights into how we are to live as the people of God. People with the gift of wisdom build up the body of Christ by providing practical insights that guide people into the right direction. They help the body of Christ make, uh, make God-honoring decisions. So that's a brief overview of these gifts. My guess is that perhaps some of you have have these gifts. The important thing, though, for us to understand that, that these gifts are what? A manifestation of the Spirit. They are not natural abilities. They flow from God to you by His power. Verse 11 tells us we are empowered with gifts by the Spirit. And check this out. He apportions to each as He sees fit. Think about that. If you belong to Christ, God has given you a gift or gifts. And he was meticulous in the manner in which he went about it. Do you not think he picked the perfect gift for you? Of course he did. He knows you so well. Have you ever tried to pick out a present for a friend? It's her birthday or something, some celebration. And you're like stuck. You have no idea what to get, right? And you search and you search and you search. And all you end up getting in the end is a, it's a gift card. Now, I got nothing wrong with gift cards, so feel free to send them my way. But, um, but with the gift card, you're, you're essentially leaving the gift selection to the gift receiver. But God does not give you a gift card and place the burden upon you. No, God sovereignly decides the spiritual gifts he will give you. And he knows even better than you do what gifts you need. And if God has gone to such detail to give you gifts, then why on earth would you not open them and use them for his divine purposes? Which leads us to our third point from verse 7. Each of Christ's followers have been given a manifestation of the Spirit with a purpose in mind. What is it? Paul says what? For the common good. They're not for our own enjoyment, though we should enjoy using them. Spiritual gifts are delightful. They're fulfilling to use. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying the use of them. In fact, the more you use and develop your spiritual gifts, the more joyful and fulfilling your life will be. God's designed it that way. And so, because God has picked the perfect gift for you, 
We can trust that our lives will be most enjoyable when we use the gifts that he has selected for us. It makes sense. Now, even though we find great satisfaction in utilizing our gifts, the primary purpose of our gifts isn't for our enjoyment. What is it for? It's for the common good. And what is the common good that we're called to pursue? You know, some people insist on looking at the church as just like some man-made organization. And so when asked what is the work of the church, many think that that the work of the church is just to come together once a week and maybe run a meeting or two to gather for an hour on Sunday for our official time together. And so to do the work of the church is about ushering and greeting and then and then doing some light janitorial work. <laughs> yeah, I don't like janitorial work either. <laughs> but that is not what God has in mind. Listen, what is the common good for which we have been called to unite behind? To quote Ray Stedman, who I'm indebted to this morning, the work of the church is, listen, healing the brokenhearted, giving deliverance to the poor, opening the doors to the captives, setting free people who are bound in prison of doubt, fear, anxiety, selfishness, and leading them out into liberty, freedom, and power. That is the work of the church. That is what God has called us to do. And it takes every one of us to fulfill this purpose. Working together. Unity, though diversity. To bring about the common good. Do you see it this way? Do you see that we share a big and audacious calling that requires each and every one of us living out our giftedness in the body of Christ? These spiritual gifts are given to each and every one who trusts in Christ. They are not natural abilities. No, they are given by God according to his sovereign design. And these gifts, though enjoyable to use, are not for individual pleasure, but for the common good of exalting Christ in the body of Christ and in our community. So we've seen the power of the Spirit. We've seen the work of the Spirit. Now let's look at the anatomy of the spiritual body. Paul uses the, the imagery, the illustration of the anatomy of the human body to describe the spiritual body's relationship with Christ and with each other. We are Christ's body. He is our head. You know, it is kind of amazing to think, isn't it? As messed up and as off track as the church has been over centuries, we constitute the means by which Christ functions in this world. And if that's true, and it is, then it would be wise and good for us to understand the anatomy of the spiritual body, how we are put together and how it functions. First, how do we become the body? Well, we're not born into it. We are baptized into it. Verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free. All were made to drink of one spirit. You know, 
Every Christian has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was what John the Baptist predicted when he said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am unworthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Paul says it matters not your background, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We are all baptized into the one same body. This speaks of our vital union with Christ, our Savior. What was Jesus' baptism? It was his death, his death on a cross. Remember when the disciples foolishly proclaimed to Jesus, oh, we'll go with you all the way to the end. Don't worry about us. We'll be with you through thick and thin, Jesus. And he asked them, really? Are you really able to endure the baptism to which I'm about to be baptized with? He's talking about his death, of course. All Christians are baptized by the Spirit into a vital relationship with Jesus, wherein his baptism, his death, becomes our baptism and new life. Jesus died so that we might belong to his body. This is how we all come into his body. There is no other way. It's a costly welcome And it's a work of his Holy Spirit. And it means that we are one body with many members. And Christ is our head. And so that's what the church is. It's not a group of religious people who gather for an hour and a half most Sundays. It is a group of people who share the same life. Who belong to the same Lord. Who are filled with the same Spirit. Who are given gifts by the one same Spirit and who are intended to function together to change the world by exalting Christ. That is who the church is. We're not an event. We are a people. Now, on paper, I think we comprehend this well. It's the putting into practice that is challenging. So Paul addresses two problems that can arise. One is the problem of being independent. The other is the problem of feeling insignificant. First, Paul addresses the problem that people within the body, especially a body where there's a lot of really overtly gifted people, people in the body can feel insignificant. I wonder how many people here this morning have not said to themselves at some point, And I love to come to church, but I don't feel like there's anything I can do. I can't contribute to the work of the church because I don't have any abilities. Others are so much more gifted than I. Perhaps you've thought those words before. Thankfully, Paul illustrates how every member is significant. Look at the body analogy in verses 14 through 16. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Paul is saying, if the foot says, you know, I can't pick up a hammer like a hand, and I can't like hold a baseball like a hand, therefore, I don't belong to the body. I mean, that would be crazy, wouldn't Wouldn't Do you know that as I stand before you, 
Not only can I not get by without my feet, I couldn't preach before you without my big toes. Look at that. Everyone's looking up like, what? It's true. I mean, your big toes are your source of stability. They, they allow you to shift weight and to be balanced as you stand erect. Now, if my big toe is an important part of the work of this church, how much more so my foot, right? That's the point that Paul is saying here. Each and every part of the body is significant. To further illustrate his point, Paul says in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the, be the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Did you see what Paul is saying? See, some people maybe have a lesser gift and not as showy of a gift, and they see someone who's, you know, outgoing, and uh, and they, and, they, and they see them using their gifts, and they go, I want to be like that person. Paul is saying, Paul is saying, you know how ridiculous it would be if everybody did the same things, as if the work of the church only consisted of a handful of things that people did on Sunday mornings. But the church is not about preaching only. The church is not about Sunday school teaching only. My preaching and teaching are meant to prepare us as the body of Christ to, to unite together, to, fill, to fulfill our work together as the body. So Paul's point is that, is that there's no unnecessary part of the body. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you perhaps feel insignificant, like you have nothing to offer. First, Paul says, there is no insignificant part of the body. Second, perhaps take some time this week to pray, uh, to go through that, that handout that is back there. Study spiritual gifts. Seek what yours perhaps could be. Begin to use them, to understand them here in the body of Christ. And as you do that, more and more, you'll experience the joy and you will feel the, the significance of belonging to the body. So Paul says that none of us are insignificant in the body of Christ. The other issue that Paul addresses is this thing that we can call an independent spirit. Plenty of Christians, especially in America, view church as an event. It's something you do versus something you are. So many Christians are detached from the body. Oh, they like a good sermon. Uh, they like some uplifting music. But they keep to themselves. They're separated from the unity of the body. You know, I regularly hear Christians say things like, you know, I get my church at home. Every day I listen to a sermon and I read my devotionals. In a sense, that's good. It's a good thing to do, to listen to good teaching, uh, to soak in scripture while you're at home. But it is not a substitute for belonging to the body and serving with your gifts in the body. You know, I'd like to think it's ignorance that causes people to live like this. But I think sometimes it's not so much ignorance as arrogance. That's what Paul shows us in verse 21. The eye cannot say arrogantly to the hand, I have no need of you nor again to the, the head, to the feet. I have no need of you. Paul's point is that if in your own physical body your eye said to your hand, I have no need of you, you would be right to tell your eye to shut up and get in line, right? Grow up. See your interdependence. We all need one another. 
Now, to magnify this point, Paul talks about how the weaker parts, uh, the parts that you think are weaker in the body, are actually indispensable and more honorable within the body. Look at um, verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, uh, our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Paul is saying that with our own bodies, we have parts we cover up modestly, our Yeah, our private parts. That's what he's getting at. And so we treat parts of our bodies with greater greater, um, honor and modesty, says Paul. And And Paul says that this is how God has arranged the body. God gives greater honor to the parts that seem insignificant or lack honor. In other words, with regards to spiritual giftedness, it could be things like, Some of you have the gift of helps or the gift of mercy. Um, They are gifts that that aren't out in the front. They're they're behind the scenes services that takes part in the body of Christ. Everybody doesn't see them necessarily, but they are more honorable in God's eyes as part of the body. Consider how many people church shop in America. I know it's not as big an issue out here. There's not a whole lot of churches, but there's parts of America where there's like 10, 15, 20 churches for like 10,000 people, you know? So people go around and they shop for a church. And people tend to shop for churches by looking at the wrong body parts. What do people tend to look for? They look for excellence in the prominent gifts. They want dynamic and powerful preaching. They want fantastic music that lines up perfectly with their musical sensibilities. They want a fun youth group for their kids. And they want a big but cozy church with baristas. But what if people actually evaluated churches based upon the weaker body parts What if people ask questions like, how does this church body love its unbelieving neighbors? How do its members serve behind the scenes? How generous is this church? How do its members exercise their gifts of helps or or mercy or, or encouragement or hospitality? Wow. Lastly, Paul gets to God's goal for the anatomy of the body. Look at verse 25. We'll finish real soon. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. That there be no divisions here at Grace Church. We are to be united to each other with Christ as our head, with the exercising the same care for one another. In other words, our unity as the body is to be so tight knit 
that we feel each other's pain and we celebrate each other's triumphs. Am I making that up? No, it's verse 26. If one member suffers, listen, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice. We are so connected as the body of Christ that it's as if we, when we stub our toe, someone gets sick, you know, the other foot knows because it has to carry the weight. And when there's rejoicing, we all rejoice. Why? Because we're so well connected. There is great unity, though diversity. We are the body of Christ. We're to be animated by the mind of Christ. And as this takes place in our church, my friends, we too become so connected to one another that we feel each other's pain and we celebrate each other's triumphs. How wonderful is that? Is that not enough reason to sit under Paul's teaching and be motivated by it? We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So where does this leave us this morning? Hopefully desiring to exalt Christ as we live together as the body of Christ. That we would see how exacting God has been to bring into the body of Christ gifts, new gifts, so that we may build each other up, so that we may live out our God-giving calling here on the East End. Grace Church, we are, we're doing well in these areas. But I do think we could continue to grow. May we become who God has powerfully equipped us to be, a unity with diversity. May we each delight in how God has gifted us. And may we unite together as Christ's body to be led by him, our great head. Let's pray. Father, it is mind-boggling that um, you use fallen, broken people like us, people who are more at ease, hiding at home, and uh, really getting to know each other well. Um, but we're thankful that you're patient with us. We're thankful, Jesus, that um, you have not severed your head from the body, that you love us and care for us, that you truly do lead your people, um, and that as your church here on the East End, or part of that church on the East End, uh, Jesus, we desire to be led by you. We desire to bring common good to each other and to our community. We pray that your spirit would continue to unite us more and more together, um, that your purposes may be lived through us, we pray. Amen.